Thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and this is The Bible Teachers. Again, we're continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the sixth program in the series. I hope you're enjoying Pastor Danny's presentations. I'm sure he has something important to say in this program, too. Hi, Danny. G'day, Barry. Good to have you again. Good to be here. Again, we're moving through the series fairly quickly now. Danny, where are we going today in our, in our presentation? Well, today we're going to be taking a closer look at one of the most incredible gifts that God has given to the human race, which is there in the very heart of his law of love that we examined uh, last, last time we were together. And so today's uh, message is entitled, Lest We Forget, um, a phrase very familiar to Australians and New Zealanders in particular. And we're going to unpackage that from God's point of view. Sounds, again, very intriguing. I've felt God speaking to my heart, Danny, as we've gone through the series. Um, you've given a fresh color to some of the things that I already know. So God bless you as you continue through the series. I'm sure the listeners will be enjoying this presentation today too. Thank you so much, Barry. And um, God always touches my heart whenever I share his message of love. So it's for me, first and foremost, I'm glad it's been a blessing to you. And I pray that it's been a blessing to, to our listeners also. I'm sure that will be the case. Well, over to you again. Thank you. Every year on April 25, Australians and New Zealanders pause to remember and commemorate all Australians and New Zealanders who served and died in all wars, conflicts and peacekeeping operations, and the contribution and suffering all of those who have served made. In Australia and New Zealand, April 25 is known as Anzac Day. On April 25, 1915, the Anzacs, that is the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, landed at Gallipoli in Turkey to seek to knock out the Ottoman Empire quickly. However, after eight months later, they found themselves 10,000 lost soldiers, Australian and New Zealanders, as well as thousands of other Allied soldiers, and in eight months' time they had to pull out and return home. In association with Anzac Day in Australia and New Zealand, we have three words that appear, a famous phrase that appears at the bottom of the Anzac Day advertisement or promotion. Those three words, lest we forget. Lest we forget, we pause to remember on April 25. It's a public holiday in Australia and New Zealand where we remember the great sacrifice given by thousands of men and women that we may enjoy the wonderful prosperity, the wonderful freedoms here in this country, in our countries of Australia and New Zealand. Now, my question is, has God in his word given our world a special sign also, lest we forget our origins, lest we forget the great sacrifice that has been given so that we may have life, that we may have hope? I believe that God has. Today, we'll once again go to the heart of God's law and we will discover an incredible gift that God gave the human race at the very beginning of time that not only points out our origins, but more importantly, and just as importantly, it points out where our life is and that our life is secure in the hands of Christ, that he is both our creator as well as our Redeemer. The last time we were together, 
we discovered that God has a GPS. Many of us uh, drive cars that have GPS systems built within. There are many of us that have GPSs on our phones and other devices. But last time we discovered God has his own GPS, God's perfect solution, I call it, for peace and happiness, God's Ten Commandment law, God's law of love, as we discovered. Today we want to take a closer look at God's law of love, for in the very heart of his law of love, we have this incredible gift that, as I've already pointed out, points to our origins and also points to the incredible love that God has for us and how that was demonstrated in a most powerful way two millennia ago. But before we open up God's Word together, as always, we need to pray. We need to ask God's Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us, to help us to understand this all-important message, to help us appreciate this incredible gift that God has given to the human race. So just pause with me for a moment as we seek the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We can come before you once again. We thank you for the privilege of opening your Word And we recognize that it's an incredible privilege. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy in many parts of the world. We also recognize that those same freedoms are not extended to many others who live in different parts of the world. But Father, today we want to thank you for your word. And we pray that as we open your word, that you will open our hearts and our minds, that we'll be receptive to hear what the Holy Spirit has to speak to each and every one of us. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to once again go to God's final message of love to the world. In a previous presentation, we discovered that the final sign that Jesus gave to us that will precede his second coming is the gospel going to all the world. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14. In Revelation chapter 14, we have the gospel given by God in an end-time context. Three angels are flying through the midst of heaven, and they are proclaiming, the Bible says, the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel That needs to go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That's Revelation 14, verse 6. That is why this broadcast, that is why this radio station to which you are hearing this message is called 3ABN, the Three Angels Broadcasting Network, sharing God's final message of love to the world. Notice the very first angel, what this angel cries out with a loud voice. Verse 7 of Revelation 14, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Notice here the angel, amongst other things, invites the world and its inhabitants to worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, why is the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water, worthy to be worshipped. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Notice here John is describing uh, what he hears coming from the heavenly courts above. You are worthy, O Lord 
to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 shares the very same thought. For by him, that is by Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. So the reason why we worship our creator is because of just that. He is our creator. Without him, we would not be here. He is the creator of the world. In fact, he is the creator of the universe. This was believed by the people of the world for centuries, for thousands of years, that we have our origins in a creator, a creator God. Up until 1859, when Charles Darwin published the world famous The Origin of the Species, and there he challenged our existence. There Charles Darwin challenged the the truth, the powerful truth that the Bible shares that we were created by a loving God at the very beginning of time. Due to Charles Darwin's epic, today things are very different in the Western world. Today, there are many who don't believe that we came about and we were created by a loving God. It has been clearly demonstrated that evolutionary belief was highly influential in the development and policies of both Nazism and communism in the way that these regimes treated people. In fact, I discovered an interesting quote, a powerful quote from a Nobel Prize winner, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who stated the reasons for so many deaths in Russia under communism. Notice what he shared. If I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our Russian people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Sadly, today, through the belief of evolution, many discover that there is no more hope. Many believe that there is no more hope. There is no meaning. There is no future. Today, we have a pandemic of fear and loneliness. Today, there are no more morals. If there is no God, well, there are no more morals. Society decides what is right and what is wrong. And today, as we've discovered in previous presentations, uh, immorality is, is on the rise. And today, people are, are finding it difficult to live in this world that appears to have no GPS. And so if you're here by chance... Random chance, you're just an accident. What's the point? And many people have come to the conclusion that there is no point in, in, in continuing to live. And sadly, this is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why the suicide rate is on the increase. However, the Bible tells us that we do have a God of love. We do have a God who loves us, a God who has given us a purpose, a God who has given us direction. So today we want to once again look at God's GPS, God's perfect solution for peace and happiness, God's Ten Commandment law of love. Notice there in verse 8 of chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, we read these words, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So what is the purpose of the seventh day or the Sabbath day as the Bible refers to it? There are a number of reasons why God gave us the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and why he rested. Today we just want to take a look at five, five key reasons why God has given us the Sabbath. Firstly, the Sabbath is a sign that God is our creator. We have already looked at this, but let's notice what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 17. God says, It is to be a sign, that is the Sabbath, between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Notice, the Sabbath is to be a sign between God and his people that he is our creator. We were created by a God of love. Now, there may be some that may be thinking, well, Danny, it says the Sabbath is to be a sign between God and the children of Israel forever. I'm not part of the children of Israel. I'm not a Jew. Well, the New Testament makes it absolutely clear that anyone who is in Christ is a son or a daughter of Abraham. Anyone who is in Christ is a descendant of spiritual Israel. So all those who are in Christ are God's Israel. The Sabbath is a day that God designed for relationships. Relationships are the most important elements in society. Without relationships, everything else is useless. It's interesting to notice that the Bible says God rested on the seventh day after he had finished creating the world in six days. And as we've already noticed, God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. Notice the very first full day that God spent with Adam and Eve was the Sabbath, a day when they could rest together, a day when they could strengthen their relationship with one another. The Sabbath is a day when God wants to strengthen his relationship with you in a very precious way that he's not able to do on any of the other six days. God wasn't tired. He didn't rest because he was tired. In fact, Adam and Eve, they weren't tired either. They'd only been created uh, an hour or two before. And, um, and so God rested in order to demonstrate how important relationships are. The most important thing that we have is our relationship with God, to be in his presence. This is one of the very most important things regarding the Sabbath. The Bible says at the very beginning of time, Genesis 2 verses 1 and 2, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Notice what God did on the seventh day. He blessed it. That word there also means happy. God made it the Sabbath to be a happy day. What's wrong with that? The seventh day was a day that was sanctified. What does the word sanctified mean? It means to set apart for holy use, something that is sacred. We speak of marriage as, as holy wedlock or holy matrimony. Notice the Bible says that he also rested. 
from all his work. That word rested there simply means to stop, to cease, and to, and to take a deep breath, to pause. God blessed, God sanctified, and God rested on the Sabbath day. That is why the Bible tells us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Lest we forget our origins, lest we forget who our creator is, each and every seventh day of the week, we pause, we stop, and we remember that we are not here by accident. We are not here by chance. We do have meaning. We do have purpose. We do have a future and a hope. And it is because we have a creator God who loves us. The Sabbath is a Sabbath rest for all mankind. There are many who believe that the Sabbath was made for the Jews. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, notice what Jesus himself said when he was here on this earth. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That word there, man, that Jesus used in the original Greek is the word anthropos. In the English, we get the word anthropology, which is the study of mankind or the study of humankind. So the Sabbath was not made for the Jews. In fact, there were no Jews for the first 2,000 years. Adam and Eve were not Jews. They were simply the first humans. The Sabbath was made for humans. It's interesting to note that Jesus also said concerning the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12, verse 12, Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So not only is the Sabbath a day for us to enter into a very special relationship with God, with Christ, our Creator. The Bible says God created through Christ, so ultimately Christ is our Creator. Not only is it a day for us to spend time with Christ in developing that that relationship with Him that we so desperately desire and need. But the Sabbath is a day for us to do good. That's what Jesus did. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, you'll discover that there are seven miracles that Jesus performed on the Sabbath that have been documented. I'm sure there were many more, but these are are the ones that we have in the New Testament. Seven, by the way, is God's perfect number. It's, it's a word of completeness. There are seven days in a week. So God here is telling us that our doing good needs to be complete and needs to be continuous. It needs to be a blessing to all those around us. Jesus taught on the Sabbath. It's a day when you and I can go and visit people in the hospital. It's a day when we can go and visit those who are lonely, pray with people, encourage people. It's a day to rest from our everyday work, but it's a day to do good, to bless others, to encourage, to help them understand that they have meaning, that they have purpose, they have hope, to help people understand that God has placed them here on this planet to give him glory, that God has placed them here to help them understand how much he loves them. Secondly, the Sabbath is a sign that God cares for us. When God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. As they went through the Red Sea, some two million individuals, it's estimated, left Egypt, men, women, and children. They, there was the big issue of, of how, to, how to feed two million people in the wilderness, in the desert, this hot and dry place where, where nothing really grows. And I've been there in the Sinai Desert, and I can tell you it's a very hot and dry place. 
So how do you feed two million people? God had a plan. And notice what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 12. This is before God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Notice these words. God says to Moses to share with the children of Israel in the morning. You shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God made a promise. He would provide bread for the children of Israel. Today we know that as manna. God said he would give manna, this, this white, flaky, uh, sweet substance, wafer kind of substance that God provided every single day of the week, except for one day, as we'll discover. Notice God told the children of Israel that they were not to keep the manna overnight or that it would be full of maggots the next morning. Secondly, God told them, on the sixth day, that is on Friday, to collect twice as much as they would on any other day in order to have enough for the next day, which was to be the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, God made it clear that there would be no manna. There would be no manna on the Sabbath. Instead, they were to collect twice as much and prepare for the Sabbath by preparing to collect twice as much on the Friday. Notice what the Bible says, Exodus 16, 5, And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. If they were to keep it overnight on Sabbath, there would be no maggots. But if they were to keep it overnight on one of the other days of the week, there would be maggots. God here provided a miracle for 40 years. For 40 years there was no manna on the Sabbath, but God provided for their needs. That's an incredible thought. God made it clear how important the Sabbath was, that they were to rest on the Sabbath and not collect manna. And instead they were to spend their time with God and with one another. The Bible tells us, that God can take care of our needs also. The Sabbath is a day when we remember that God is in control and that he will take care of us. He will provide for us, that we do not need to stress or worry, but God will provide for us because he is a God of love. Thirdly, the Sabbath is a sign that we belong to God. Notice what we read in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Notice the Sabbath is to be a sign, a sign between God and his people that God's people may know that it is the Lord who sanctifies them or sets them apart for holy use or sets them apart to be holy to be sacred, to be special, God's special treasure. It's interesting, here in the Western world in particular, and in, and, and, and many other parts of the world, I'm sure, and as I've observed, when two individuals get married in holy matrimony, in sacred or holy wedlock, often they will give one another a ring, a wedding ring. You may yourself have received a wedding ring. I have received a wedding ring from my wife and I have given her a wedding ring also. I ended up losing my wedding ring on our honeymoon. It was a little bit loose and so my wife decided that before I lose it again, I happened to find it 
or somebody happened to find it and give it to me. And um, But now it's safely tucked away in her drawer at home. But what is that wedding ring for? That wedding ring is placed on the finger in order that everybody may know. It's an outward sign that everybody may know that you are married, that you belong to someone special. My wife wears her wedding ring, and for her, it's an outward symbol that she belongs only to me. She is not available to anybody else but she belongs only to me. The Sabbath in the same way is a sign between God and his people that we belong to God each time we observe the Sabbath, each time we keep the Sabbath day holy. We tell everybody, our neighbors, our friends, the world, we tell them that we belong to God. We don't belong to man. We belong to God. The Sabbath is a sign that We belong to God and that we are here to worship Jesus Christ exclusively and to love him supremely. Fourthly, the Sabbath is a sign that Jesus is not only our creator, but he is also our redeemer. Notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 12. This here is the Ten Commandments as given by Moses the second time. And this time Moses is simply uh, verbalizing what God has already shared as he's about to depart and leave the children of Israel before they move into the promised land and before Moses is about to die. He shares these words with them, reminding them of what God shared with them on Mount Sinai some 40 years before. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. Notice here Moses gives a secondary reason why we are to keep the seventh day holy, why we are to worship on the Sabbath day. Not only is God our creator, as we discover In Exodus chapter 20, but in this parallel passage of the Ten Commandments, here we have another reason why we are to observe the Sabbath day, and that is because we have been redeemed. We were slaves, and we have been redeemed. We were not redeemed from slavery in the land of Egypt in a physical sense, as were the children of Israel, but we have been redeemed from the slavery of sin. When did that take place? That took place at the cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the price and our redemption was secured through his blood. So the Sabbath reminds us that not only do we have a creator who created us, but we also have a redeemer, Jesus Christ, who purchased our salvation. So each time we pause on Sabbath, each time we stop from our work, we remember that we were created by a loving God and we were redeemed by that same loving God in Christ Jesus. You'll remember the words of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. The Bible says in John 19 verse 30, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. 
Notice Jesus' final words before, according to the Bible, according to John, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died. Notice his final words. It is finished. Do you remember the words of God after he had completed the work of creation in the Garden of Eden? The Bible says when God finished all that he had done, he rested on the seventh day and he sanctified it. Notice God rested at the end of creation. And when God purchased our redemption on Calvary's cross through Jesus Christ, he cried out those same words, it is finished. God rested after creation. God rested after redemption. Jesus spent the Sabbath in the grave resting after he had completed his work of redemption. An incredible and powerful thought that helps us to know that God is our Redeemer. God is our Creator. How did Jesus spend the Sabbath after he died? In the grave. When did he rise on Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, as he continued his work. He's continued his work to intercede for the human race. What would Jesus do? Or what did Jesus do? We, we, we have this phrase today, this four-word phrase, what would Jesus do, WWJD? Young people wear, wear this little band around, around their around their hands, what would Jesus do, WWJD? Well, the Bible tells us what Jesus did. It tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Notice, when Jesus was here on this earth, on the Sabbath day, he went to church. He stood up to read to encourage the individuals, to help them understand that they were loved by God, to help them understand the purpose why he came, to help them understand that God had sent his son into this world so that all those who would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John 2 verse 6 that he who says he abides in him ought also himself to walk just as he walked. God is inviting us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and keep holy the seventh day Sabbath. We will be back in just a moment. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia, Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was here on this earth, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day 
and he stood up to read. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. We noticed those words just a moment ago. We also discovered that John tells us that those who say they abide in Christ ought also to walk just as he walked, to follow in his footsteps. We have already discovered that when Jesus was here on this earth, he did much good. That's why he said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a day when we ought to do good toward one another, help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. It's one day in the week when we can focus completely on doing good, focus completely of following in the footsteps of Jesus, walking just as he walked. Well, what happened once Jesus went to heaven? Did his disciples, did the early church continue the custom that Jesus had of going and worshipping on the Sabbath day? Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 2. The Bible says, Then Paul, as his custom was, notice the same words that are used concerning Christ, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Notice, as far as the Apostle Paul was concerned, he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. As the custom of Jesus was to worship on the Sabbath, so too the Apostle Paul and the early church also worshipped on the Sabbath. All the way through the New Testament, we have one account after another of the early church worshipping on the Sabbath day, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And why should we be surprised? Jesus himself, the Bible says, gave the Sabbath. Why wouldn't the creator of the Sabbath take time out? And why wouldn't he worship on that very day? Why wouldn't he remember that very day? For he is the one that gave it at the very beginning. Today, Jesus invites us to stop. He invites us to worship him. He invites us to give him honor and glory. He invites us to rest from our everyday work and to pause and to remember him as our creator, to remember Jesus Christ as our savior. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a day that has been set apart that's what it means to keep the day holy. It's not a day to work. It's not a day to play games. It's not a day to go to sporting events. It's not a day to do your lawns. It's not a day to go shopping. It's a day to keep holy. It's a day to spend with Jesus. It's a day to worship him, to honor him, to glorify him. It's a day to do good. It's a day to encourage. Oh, there are so many things you can do on the Sabbath day. God has given us this one precious day to remember him. There are some that think, well, does it have to be the seventh day, Saturday? Is that the day that I need to stop and pause? What if it's not convenient? What if Sunday is more convenient or Friday or Wednesday? Does it really matter which day of the week I rest on as long as it's one in seven? Notice, God is very specific. In the Ten Commandments, those words written by the very hand of God, we have these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Did you notice those words? But the seventh day, not any day 
The Bible doesn't say pick a day, any day that is convenient and worship on that day. God says the seventh day. It's a day that you and I, by keeping, show our allegiance to God. And we'll take a look at that a little more in just a little bit. So when does the Sabbath begin? When does the Sabbath end? Well, the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 32, the Bible states, From evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. That is, when the sun sets, Sabbath begins, and when the sun sets again, the following day the Sabbath ends. So the Sabbath begins on Friday evening when the sun sets, and the Sabbath ends on Saturday evening when the sun sets once again. You don't need a watch. You can be anywhere in any place around the world without the exception of being right up there in the northern hemisphere where they have several months of continual darkness and several months of continual daylight. Outside of those regions, anywhere else on the planet, you can understand and you can know for certain when the Sabbath has begun and when the Sabbath has ended. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 and 9. So this is New Testament. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Okay, here's a, a direct quotation or a direct reference to the Ten Commandments. Notice the writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That word there, rest, is the word sabbatismos or Sabbath. The word remains is an interesting word because here it speaks of this Sabbath rest remaining in the continuous tense. The word there is in the continuous tense. So the Bible is clear. God's Sabbath rest is not only to remain for the here and now, but it will remain forevermore. And we'll take a look at that in just a little bit, some more. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a beautiful promise Jesus makes. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do we live today in a restless world, especially those of us who live in the Western world? The answer is obvious. I came across this very interesting headline in the Sydney Morning Herald a number of years ago, and it caught my attention. Notice these words, stress and debt make Sydney a violent city. Stress and debt make Sydney a violent city. Notice these words. From the article, Sydney is an angry city with longer working hours, climbing levels of debt and traffic snails. People are trying to cope with increasing stress that leads to alcohol-fueled violence and a less tolerant society, a sociologist has warned. From the Centre from Cultural Research at the University of Western Sydney, James Avan Itakis, that's an interesting name, said Sydney siders were increasingly feeling the pressures of a competitive society, getting more and more frustrated with everyday annoyances such as public transport delays and feeling, notice these words, these words really caught my attention, feeling increasingly time poor. Notice, God has the solution for the stress that 
is making our cities more and more violent by the day. God has the answer for those who feel time poor, for those who don't have enough time to spend with their families, with their wives, with their children, with the significant others in their lives. God says, I have given you one day off every single week. Enjoy. Take the time off. Worship me. Spend it with with your loved ones, with your wives and with your families, with your children, and have the opportunity and have the blessing associated with the day of rest. Another survey, and there are many that I can go through. This this one also um, from the ABC News this time, and this was only a couple of years ago or so. Working Australians become more stressed, survey tells us. Um, Australians are, are just being overwhelmed more and more working longer hours many are working seven days a week or working two jobs in order to try and make ends meet and so they're suffering under the stress and under the strain of longer working hours and working more and more god has a solution and his solution is the sabbath that is why the sabbath in more than 140 languages around the world the sabbath The word for the seventh day of the week is, in fact, Sabbath. That's right. In some 140 or more languages around the world, the word for the seventh day of the week is Sabbath. Here in Australia, New Zealand, in in, in the English-speaking world, uh, the seventh day is referred to as Saturday, and we get that from the, the pagan Romans who named their days of the week from the various planets. And Saturday is based on Saturn's day. But not so in more than 100 languages of the world. In fact, the, the, the language that I was brought up on, Macedonian, at home, as you know, my parents are from Macedonia. They immigrated to Australia just before I was born. The, the day for Saturday is Sabota. And in Serbo-Croatian, it is Subota. And in many other languages um, of the world, it's, it's, it's similar. In Greek, it is Sabaton. In Spanish, it is Sabador. In, um, in French, it's Sammedi. In Hindi, it's Sombat. And so in Polish, it's Sobota. So as you can see, uh, the word Sabbath has been placed in the language of more than 100 nations, of of more than 100 languages, I should say, regarding the seventh day, Saturday. It's interesting that the weekly cycle has not changed. There are many that wonder, has the weekly cycle changed? And uh, the Royal Observatory there in Greenwich uh, has made it very clear that the weekly cycle has not changed, that you can be sure that today's Saturday is the same Saturday that has always existed from the very beginning of time. And we know that Jesus worshipped on the seventh day of the week, and today uh, we all celebrate Good Friday, the day that Jesus Christ was crucified on Friday. We all celebrate Easter Sunday, which is the day Jesus resurrected, and that's on the first day of the week on Sunday. So we're all very well aware that you can be sure that the same seventh day 
that Jesus created at the very beginning of time that he gave to the children of Israel in the Ten Commandments that Jesus himself observed is the same seventh day that you and I are invited by God to observe and to keep holy. I find it interesting that when we take a look at the seven-day week, there is nothing in nature that gives us a seventh-day week. If you think about this for a moment, think with me regarding why we have a 24-hour day. You know that we have a 24-hour day because the earth rotates on its axis once every 24 hours, and that gives us a day. Why do we have a month? Well, it's because the moon rotates around the earth once every month approximately. That's why we have a month. Why do we have a year? 365 and a quarter days it takes for the earth to rotate around the sun. So there's a reason why we have a day, a month, and a year. Why do we have a seven-day week? What is the reason that we have a seven-day week? Is there something, um, in, something that is in harmony or aligned with our planetary system structure and, um, and circuits and so on and so forth? No, there isn't. The reason why we have a seven-day week is because God gave us a seven-day week at the very beginning. I find it interesting that, um, that the French, during the French Revolution, uh, tried to do away with God, and they also tried to do away with the seven-day week by introducing a 10-day week in order to try and do away with the God of the Bible and, um, and the weekly cycle, which is, which is given to us in, in the Bible, and that's its origins. And in order to try and do away with all that, they came up with a 10-day week. As you read the history of what took place, only after a very short time, uh, the, the mental institutions, the insane institutions were filled to overflowing with individuals who could not cope with a 10-day working week. There's so much more I could share on this, but today more and more research is suggesting that we indeed have a seven-day body clock. That is, our bodies were designed to, to, to go for six days, but we need one day every week in order for our bodies to recuperate, in order for our bodies uh, to be rejuvenated, to be renewed, and to be able to press on into the new week. The Sabbath is a precious day that God has given to us. That's why God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What did God say? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? My wife often not so often now because she works from home. But once upon a time when she didn't work from home, she would phone me up and she would say, Danny, have you remembered to put the washing out? Why would she ask me that? Why would she ring me up and ask me if I had remembered to put the washing out after she had told me about three or four times to put the washing out before she left for, for work? Well, you know why. Many of you are probably in the same boat. The reason why my wife would have to give me a call is because often, far too often, I would forget. And so that is why God says, remember the Sabbath day. He knew there would come a time when humans would forget their creator, when humans would forget the Sabbath. And so God says, remember the Sabbath day. That is why we remember in Australia and New Zealand, April 25, the great sacrifice that was, that was provided so that we may enjoy the freedoms. That's, that is why those words are inscribed 
on monuments, on plaques, on flags, lest we forget. We pause April 25 every single year to remember on Anzac Day. God invites us to pause every seventh day to remember that he is our creator. He is our redeemer. Another important point, a fifth point regarding the Sabbath and why God has given it to us. There are many more that we could look at, but we don't have time. But this is the fifth and final one that I want us to take a look at today together. The Sabbath is a sign that my complete allegiance is to Jesus. That's right. The Sabbath is a sign that my complete allegiance is to Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine I was a backyard mechanic. Now I'm not. I've got no idea. The only thing I know about cars is where to put the water and where to put the petrol. And sometimes I get them mixed up. No, not not quite. But I really don't know too much about cars at all. But imagine, imagine I was a backyard mechanic and I'm working on my car one Sunday and I'm working away and working away and I get, I'm not a very good backyard mechanic, so I've, I've, I've got oil all over my face, all over my hands, just all over the place. So I grab a white rag. What color was that? White, that's right. I grab a white rag and I clean myself. And I use that white rag until there's, there is no more white left on that rag. And so I put it in the box and I pull out another rag. I pull out a red rag this time. What color was that? Red. That's right, red. I pull out a red rag and so I'm using that to wipe the oil off my hands and, um, and so forth. Then towards the end of the day, that red rag is also full of oil and uh, I haven't finished my work and so I pull out another rag. I pull out a blue rag this time and I use that to, to wipe my hands. Well, the next day, it's time to clean up. And so I decide that I'm going to clean up the garage and I go there into my rags and there are those three rags. Do you remember what those colors were? That's right, white, red and blue. Those three rags, white, red and blue. And I take those three rags and uh, this used to happen once upon a time but no longer in Australia and I'm sure not in New Zealand where you would have an incinerator in the backyard and that's where you could burn rubbish and whatever you wanted to burn. And so I'd take those three rags and I'd place them in, in, in the incinerator in my backyard and I'd burn them with the rest of the rubbish. Now, would you have any trouble? Would you have any problems with that as an Australian or as a New Zealander that I've burnt these three rags, these blue, red and white rag? Would you have any problem with it? No, I wouldn't either. However, imagine with me, imagine with me, I took those three, three items of material, that red material, that white material, that blue material. And from that material, I made an Australian or a New Zealand flag that has red, white, and blue. And then I took that flag and I burnt it. Now, would you have a problem with that? I would. You would. That is a criminal offense. And not just that, but for me, that is a sign that I do not respect the allegiance to this country that I have, that I'm blessed to be in, that I'm so grateful that my parents came to this country to give me opportunities that I would not have had where they were from. That Australian flag represents that 
I am blessed to live in this country. My allegiance is to Australia as far as my, my citizenship is concerned. And so that flag represents who we are, where we belong, and, um, and, and the privileges that we enjoy. Those three materials in and of themselves are nothing. They have no significance. But put those three materials together and make the Australian or the New Zealand flag and they represent something very significant, something very sacred. So too when God took the seventh day, the Bible says he blessed it. There's the blue. The Bible says he sanctified it. There's the red. And he says he rested on that seventh day. There's the white. When God put his blessing, his rest, and he sanctified the seventh day, it now is no longer any old day. Now it's a significant, special, sacred day that sets it apart from all the other days of the week. I hope that helps you to understand the allegiance that is involved in keeping the Sabbath day holy. In fact, the issue of allegiance, the Sabbath, worship, will be at the very heart of God's end-time appeal to the world at the end of time. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation that the allegiance factor at the end of time will indeed be over worship. At the very beginning of time, the first war was over worship in heaven. Lucifer wanted to be worshipped. The first murder on earth was over worship. Cain killed his brother Abel over worship. And the Bible says the final battle will be over worship. That word worship appears over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. Take out your Bible. Take out a concordance and count the number of times the word worship, worships, worshipped or worshipping appears in Revelation. I've counted some 33 times over and over again. That's the central issue in the book of Revelation. That is why the angel cries out, in Revelation fourteen seven, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is a call for all those who live on the earth. This is a call to those who are in heaven and on earth to give God glory, to worship him, the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is a message that needs to go to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. God is our creator. He is also our savior. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 14 and verse 12. God says through his word, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Notice God will have a people at the end of time. God will have a people at the end of time who are preparing for the coming of Jesus, who the Bible describes as those who keep the commandments of God, including the commandment that begins with the word remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And they also have the faith of Jesus. They have incredible faith in Jesus. They've put all their faith and trust in Jesus. Their allegiance is to Christ. They belong to Christ with all their hearts, God will have a people who will keep his commandments. 
Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And the dragon, the dragon here is a symbol for Satan, was enraged with the woman or God's church at the end of time. And he went to make war with the rest or with the remnant of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's Revelation 12, 17. Notice why Satan is angry with God's people. Here, God tells us the reason why is because they keep God's commandments. They show loyalty to God. And the greatest sign of of allegiance is obedience. That is why two individuals on that day when they are at the altar will covenant with one another that they will be faithful to one another until death do them part. They will not give themselves to anyone else, but they belong to only each other. And so God here has given us the sign between him and his people. God's people will keep all of his commandments, including the Sabbath day. And then finally, notice here what Jesus says in John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus is inviting us to put our faith and trust in him, to love him with all of our hearts. In fact, the Bible says, In Isaiah 66, verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So the Sabbath will continue on throughout throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. God is inviting us to join him to keep the Sabbath day holy. Won't you give God your heart? Won't you surrender all to the Lord and invite him to be your Savior, your Lord. Thank him that he is your creator and your Lord and worship him each and every day on the Sabbath. Why don't we pray together? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Sabbath. We thank you for the blessings of the Sabbath. And we ask and pray that as we unite with Christ in keeping holy his Sabbath day, that he will draw us to himself, that he will pour out his love upon us more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.